And welcome to those who are joining us on our live stream today or joining us sometime after as well. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I know there's a few folks here who are new. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm our lead pastor. I just want to welcome you here in the name of Jesus. Now, two weeks ago, a couple of my best friends growing up, uh, they were driving through town and so they stopped in to, uh, to come and visit. And um, as we were chatting, Ruth, who is a nurse, and she's been working all throughout this season, uh, she said, you know, it's been challenging, but I think that pastors have had it even harder. And I was like, well, I'm not sure if that's true, but I was like, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and B, A, thank you, B, um, which is what she was getting at, when your heart aches to see people becoming all that God in Christ has made them to, to be, and for people to thrive as the community of God, well, this has been a challenging time for pastors. Uh, that by God's grace, we are called to care for people. We're called to help the church stay aligned with God's mission and to stay united in the midst of, well, a lot of disagreements, a lot of discouragement, and even fear. And so, yeah, this has been, this has been a challenging time for pastors it felt a little bit like a marathon, or to borrow the sports metaphor that a, a, a pastor in Ontario recently used as I read it. He said, in 2020, we all thought we were running a marathon. Uh, just as we thought we were finishing, someone handed us a bike and a bathing suit. <laughs> then 2021 revealed that it's actually not a triathlon, it's an Ironman. And some of you maybe particularly those who are leading organizations or leading businesses or working in the public sector like as a school teacher, um, man, you are feeling that. You can relate. And actually, I think everybody can relate on some level to that sense because if you're a parent, you are constantly negotiating and renegotiating like what's going to be best for our kids at this time. If you're a university student, man, you've had to sort through all kinds of challenges and changes, and you're probably still sorting them out. And so yes, pastors too have had that sense of marathon that's actually triathlon that turns out to be an Ironman. Now, I didn't develop this sermon series to complain about the challenges of being a pastor. This isn't a therapy session on stage. But one of the opportunities, read challenges that I'm trying to frame in a different kind of way. One of the opportunities that stands before us right now is to be able to clearly define, even rediscover the meaning and mission of the church. Like why church? Why even bother? In a recently published book that I've really appreciated actually, and I'll refer to it throughout this series, the authors make a point. They said, we're long past the time when we could assume that even the most dedicated believers in Jesus Christ understood why they should bother with the church. And as I read that, it irked me. I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't think so. I would like to think that committed followers of Jesus as a part of Summit Drive because of all the great teaching over the years, you know, that you'd be able to clearly articulate the meaning of the church. And I think that's true for many people, actually. But some assumptions are safer than others to make, aren't they? And what if the authors are right? Like, I was having a conversation about a month and a half ago. Um, there were some people who were visiting. They were visiting because they were witnessing a baptism. They were coming to see someone that they knew and loved being baptized. 
And as I was chatting with them, um, they said, well, we've been meeting with another group of believers um, over this pandemic time. So actually, we've been quite disconnected. And, and then said to me, your job, and she was referring to, to myself and actually all the pastors of the city. She said, your job is going to be figuring out how to get us back into gathered community. And, and I appreciated that. I appreciated that she could see the need to be regathered, to be reconnected. And so maybe this series is in part me saying challenge accepted. Uh, but more, I appreciate this. This person was willing to say out loud, you really need to help us reconnect. So that comment signaled to me that there really is a need to help people see and understand the meaning and mission of the church in our moment so that we could take up our call to be, uh, to be participating again maybe rediscovering again what it means to be the church. And so may it be that as we listen to the scriptures over the next four weeks, as we hear from various people in our community who have a passion for the church, may it be that God has some real encouragement for you in this time. I trust and pray that he will and invite you to pray with me now as we begin. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, um, that we can do this, that we can meet together, that we can be in the same room and be lifting your name up. And I pray now, Father, that as we, as we talk about just launching into what it means to be the church, to rediscover our, the meaning and mission of what you dreamed, God, give us um, hearts that are ready to respond to you in faith for your glory. Amen. So where do we begin? Well, we begin at the very beginning of everything. Have you ever had a dream? Maybe you were something that was captivating your imagination, that was even maybe driving you and motivating creativity. Uh, near the beginning of the, this pandemic uh, experience, I started uh, building a guitar with my kids. I've talked about this before. It was part of like, uh, you know, school at home experience. It came right after um, fishing and uh, firearms. <laughs> it's like going to school with Ron Swanson. That was me. Um, for me, this creative outlet was bringing a dream to life, a dream to like build my own guitar. In my workshop, I spent far too many hours watching YouTube videos on like how to spray lacquer and how to best polish fret ends. And eventually from, from the dreaming and working, well, this materialized. And I'm glad that uh, Justin said, hey, can I play your guitar this morning? Because then I could actually just grab it and turn it on and, you know, do a few of the things. Um, anyways, um, I could just get carried away and, and play my guitar a little bit, but a, a, a few things. Number one, that is not the best guitar to have ever been built in the world, by far, but I love it because I dreamed it, and I built it, and it's mine. Now, my illustration is going to look really cheap in just a moment here, but the community of God, the church, the church universal stretching throughout all of history, the church universal around the globe and expressed in these tiny little outposts of the kingdom all throughout the world in, in local gatherings, the church, God's dream 
As Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The we is a plural. This is about us together as the church. We, the church, are God's handiwork. He dreamed it, fashioned it by his creative initiative so that we would be about good works for him in the world. The church, God dreamed it. God loves it. God built it. It's his. And let's just personalize that for a moment, just to hear the weight of it. God dreamed us. God loves us. God is building us. We are his. But we need to take this a step farther. Follow me for a moment. Out of the joyful expression of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is without beginning, God did not need to create anything at all. God was not lonely. God has always existed in love. But out of that love, God chose. God made a decision. God had a dream. And he created all things. And at the very center of that all things is the church. No, you didn't mishear me. And no, that isn't heresy. The first time I really began to, to see this, it stopped me dead in my tracks. Uh, we're going to go full theology nerd for just a few minutes here, um, but it's absolutely essential to get this. Uh, Simon Chan did his PhD at uh, Cambridge. Uh, he's the theology professor at Trinity Theological College in Singapore. I was reading his book called Liturgical Theology while working on my doctoral studies, and I read this section that stunned me. He writes this, the church precedes creation in that it is what God has in view from all eternity. That's the dream I'm talking about. It's what God has had in view from all of eternity. And creation is the means by which God fulfills his eternal purpose in time. The church does not exist in order to fix a broken creation. Rather, creation exists to realize the church. God made the world in order to make the church, not vice versa. Hold the phones. Could that really be? Well, look what Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he, that's God, chose us. And that us is a plural. This is about the church, the community of God. God chose us in him, that is in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Notice that word before. Underline it. Before God created anything at all, God chose to make a people for himself. The church, though it is chronologically after the rest of creation. It is logically prior. It comes before anything that God created at all to creation itself. As Chan said, God made the world in order to make the church. What if that's true? What if that's true? What would that mean for how we view the church? Man, this has a whole host of implications. But here's at least some 
of what it means for us, for all of the folly, all the problems that the church has, all the issues we've been involved in and maybe shouldn't have been throughout history and across time, we wouldn't dare devalue God's dream, his church. Jesus, God the Son, gave his life so that all who say are yes to his invitation to forgiveness and life to make us his very own. So the first point is just simply this. We love what God loves. We delight in God's dream because he delights in us. As we were talking at staff uh, this Wednesday, and I was sharing a little bit of what I was going to uh, talk about this, this week, um, Harry shared a story of what a mentor of his said 40 years ago. He said, said it 40 years ago. I've never forgot it. His mentor said this. He said, when you go to a potluck, and for those who are unfamiliar with like church lingo, potluck is when like people just come for a lunch or a dinner and they bring piles of food and everybody shares in it. Don't you? Man, potluck's best. Wow. When you go to a potluck, potluck, bring your very best dish and don't you dare eat it yourself. <laughs> the point is this. Like this people, the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters meeting in the local church, when you serve, bring your lavish best. We are to aim, as we read in 1 Peter 1.22, to love each other deeply from the heart. So when we recognize the reality that the church is God's dream prior even to creation, that lays the foundation for why we would seek to honor, to care for, to serve, to be present with, to play our part in the body of Christ, the church. So the first implication is just this. It's just an attitude. It's a posture of valuing what God values. Maybe some of us need to rediscover that. Maybe we had forgotten that. Maybe we need to rediscover that sort of affection for our sisters and brothers in Christ. The reality of not meeting regularly in the ways that we've been used to for a year and a half now, it's challenged that affection. I, I know it has. Listen to how Hansen and Lehman put it. They say debates over masks, vaccines, and much else divided church members trapped in their homes and glued to Facebook feeds filled with dire warnings and conspiracy theories. Christians liked each other a lot more before social media. That part made me laugh. Take away the unifying experience of weekly worship together under the same roof, and the bonds of affection have frayed. They're not wrong. In our TechWise series that we did two years ago, we talked about how it's far too easy to dehumanize others when there's the mediation of a screen between us. It's too easy to treat others as less than the beautiful, uh, made-in-the-image-of-God humans that we all are. But when we experience each other's presence, without the mediation of a screen to stand between us, we become, begin to rediscover the beauty in each other, the reality that God has made us to be his one body. Listen to how Paul says it in Romans 12, 5. In Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, belongs to 
if we are in Christ, if we've come to a place of trusting him with our life and salvation, we belong to each other. That is a big claim. That means I can't walk around as though I'm completely isolated or insulated from others. There are no islands. We belong to each other. We have a responsibility to and for one another with all our differences. You see, somehow it's the difference that we are different sorts of people, that becomes the site of our transformation. Uh, Hansen and Lehman, they continue and say it well, you belong to God and to one another. One body, many members, including you. You may have many reasons not to rediscover church, and one reason why you must. Because through these people, God wants to show his love to you. It's the only kind of love that can draw us out of ourselves and into a fellowship that transcends the forces tearing apart our sick world. It's the only essential way for us to find healing together. Beyond all that, they go on, your church is where Christ says he's present in a unique way. We would even dare to say that your church and ours is where heaven touches down on earth, where our prayers begin to be answered, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what they are daring to say, I believe absolutely is true. When God's people participate in our common life together, as we gather for worship to sing and pray and give and listen to God's word together, as feeble and wanting as all of that may be, when we meet in each other's homes, when we take time to check in with each other and to serve one another in love, pray for each other, we are seeing really and truly, if only in a small way, heaven touching down on earth. And so that's our second related implication. We need togetherness, a deep participation in life together. That so-called online church, it could never replace that. I would even say that there is no such thing as virtual church because as we read in Romans 12, church means being the body of Christ. And being a body requires embodiment, like physical participation to be able to serve one another. And so we all need each other. And I'm not talking about just attending church services. Don't hear that. I'm talking about participating in, entering into, being immersed in worship at life and community not being a consumer of an experience, but joining in the life of the body. Yes, we do host services. We, we, we share them online and for good reason. For those whose health doesn't allow them to be in a building with other people at this time, or, or for those who out of necess necessity, maybe they're traveling, they can still connect with our community online. That's beautiful, I love that. And if you're watching today online, bless you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're joining us. We can also share these messages. We can email them to a friend and say, I'd like you to listen to this. It might encourage you. People who are maybe just checking out Christianity for the first time can go online and listen to a message and find out what it's like, what we do here. I am regularly blessed by online ministries of various sorts. So don't hear me saying that it doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's not church. It could never be church if it's virtual because church is people embodied with each other doing life together. I've got a secret I want to share with you. 
and it's that I'm missing something, something really significant until, until we gather together as a whole body to sing and offer our prayers with one heart and voice. See, I get to study the Bible. My library is full of books on prayer and theology, and I benefit from it weekly. I get the opportunity and the joy of being able to serve other people and, and meet in my office and work through challenging things to honor God in various ways, but I am missing something deeply until I show up here on a Sunday morning. I need this. I need you. I need to hear your voices to remind me of my faith too. There is something necessary that happens in our gathering that sustains and forms my life in Christ. And I'm not alone. That's God's design for these sorts of gatherings. Now, let me address just a few legitimate pushbacks against what I maybe have just said here by trying to highlight the importance of gathering. I hear people say things like, I worship God when I go fishing or golfing or running or biking. I worship God when I'm outdoors in nature. My response? That's fantastic. Me too. Man, I have great times of prayer and worship when I'm walking through the bush or when I'm standing on the bank of a river with the rod in my hand. Fantastic, isn't it? I love that. Because worship is not limited to a single time and place. In fact, it's a whole life caught up in love for God and others. You see, really, the best test of my worship is how I treat my wife and my kids in our home. That's, that's when you can tell who I really worship. But we also see that the, the scriptures say that there's spheres of worship that we could talk about. First, and the broadest one is that we all worship all the time. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Because worshiping is simply giving your love and allegiance to someone or something. It even happens unconsciously. You can never stop worshiping. Everybody worships all the time. It might be God, it might be something else, but everybody's worshiping. The second sphere, this is for the Christian person, is this level of honoring God in the everyday and ordinary. This is our response to, to live for him with our whole life, like in our work and in our play. See, that's the lake, that's the trail. It's in our homemaking and our neighboring. It's in our volunteering in the community, cleaning up the park, advocating for the marginalized, serving those in need, praying for our coworkers. It's a life caught up in love for God. But there's still another sphere of worship at the center of all of these, which the Bible assumes all the way through from beginning to end. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, Psalm 100. On the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom, Luke 4. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread, Acts 20. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, Colossians 3. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, Hebrews 10. This is the sphere of gathered worship, repeated weekly. It's the event where God, where we worship together God through Christ in the power of the Spirit. It includes prayer and singing and preaching 
and giving and acknowledging each other's presence and then being sent out again into the world with hope-filled hearts. So we direct our hearts to God in the everyday parts of life. This is on the golf course and while you're making your kids a snack. We live with this beautiful statement my friend recently shared with me. It's his mantra. He goes through his work, then he says, every moment holy. Every moment holy, that's true. And that would be worthy of our repeating as we work through every place because we worship at all times and in all places. Absolutely. But that's not a substitute for gathered worship. We can imagine it like the breathing of a human body. We need to inhale to take in the oxygen to fill our lungs, and then we exhale out of our bodies again. So too, the breathing life of the church, gathering together is like this inhale, this coming together to receive from God something special that happens here as we meet. And then the exhale is the church dispersed to be agents of the world, to bring glory to God and to love our neighbors. Now, I realize that might be convicting for some to hear. I understand that. That's okay. But I, I trust it's not actually controversial in any sense. Since if we look at the early church, we look at the people of Israel before them, gathered worship was just the assumed norm. If you follow Jesus, this is going back to that Luke 4 thing, if you follow Jesus as one of his early disciples, you can bet that every single Sabbath you would be meeting in the synagogue for gathered worship. Why would that change if we're followers of Jesus now? Of course, it is not the norm in our culture. I recognize that. To set aside a portion of, quote unquote, our weekend, as we sometimes call it, as though we could actually say we owned what God owns, time, <laughs> we set aside this time to participate with a ragtag group who, apart from the bonds of grace through the gospel, we might have next to nothing in common with, and yet because of Jesus, we belong, as we read, to each other. And when I call this to mind, my heart is to value God's dream, what he loves. We need to be together to hear each other's voices. We read later in Ephesians 5.19 that we're to, we're, we're to be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. When we're struggling... We hear the voices of our sisters and brothers in these songs that call our hearts to believe again when we're struggling to, to trust again when, when we're going through hard things. So we actually need to sing for each other's benefit as well as to God. We need each other's faces to be reminded of the beautiful diversity of the people of God, the every tribe and nation and tongue and language people of God that we will be a part of for all of eternity. And we need to break bread and take the cup together. Jesus tells us that we have to regularly rehearse the story of our salvation. The grace that is poured out through Jesus' broken body and shed blood, it forms us into an outpost of God's kingdom right here on earth. And that's our, really our last implication is just this. We need life together to fulfill the commands that Jesus has given us. For Jesus says this to his followers, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, John 13. 
notice it's in how we love each other. It's not in how we actually love the world, though that's true too. They're going to see who we follow by that. It's actually how Christian brothers and sisters love one another that will tell the truth on who we're following. Hansen and Lehman put it well. What is the church? It's a group of people who know they've been loved by Christ and have begun to love one another like that. And the like that, Jesus laid down his life for us. The church, we together are to love each other in that same way. How? Well, here's one of the ways. I'm going to call my friend Anthony to come on up. Um, One of the ways we do that is to fulfill this love command through our our life groups. These are places for doing life together, to to be an extension into the the places we inhabit throughout the week. And so I'm glad to welcome Anthony Rempel. He's actually joining our staff team. So come on up, Anthony. And uh, really glad to have you joining us as an interim part-time life group coordinator. So Anthony, share us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your dream for the church as well. So let's see if that's on. No, I just need to turn it on, that's all. There we go. All right, well, thanks, thanks Dave, for mentioning fishing this morning. I was worshiping God with a fly rod yesterday morning at Edith Lake. And uh, Harry, thank you for mentioning uh, praying for teachers this morning, too, because well, we ever need your prayers right now. So my name is Anthony. Uh, I am a member here at, have been a member here at Summit for the past 16 years. And I really love this church. And I've recently retired from my career as a public school elementary principal. And I'm currently a teacher on call in the Kamloops School District. So I'm entering a new frontier in my life as a pinch hitter. (laughs) Kind of what I'm doing here too. Uh, This is an exciting time of change for me. And I'm really looking forward to walking into it with my eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting God with all my heart, leaning not on my own understanding, and acknowledging Him in all my ways. So one of those ways has turned out, as Dave mentioned, to me joining the staff here at Summit Drive as the interim life coordinator, life group coordinator. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that term, life groups are simply small groups that meet regularly to share with and encourage each other, grow in their faith and relationship with Jesus, and study the Bible together and pray for one another. Uh, The fact that they are described as life groups really speaks to the fact that they are vital to the lifeblood of the church. If there's one thing I have learned in over five decades of following Jesus, it is that I grow closer to Him when I am in regular community and fellowship with fellow believers. And it's in small group settings where I can meet regularly with people on a deeper, more intimate level. And that's where real growth and connectedness takes place. I've had some incredible experiences participating in a variety of groups, and each one has been life-giving for me and for those that were invested in the group. However, I've also been in situations where I have been new to a church, and even though surrounded by many believers on Sunday mornings, felt alone and disconnected. And if you're like me, it might be much harder for you to find that sense of community as you wait for others to make the first move. So I want to encourage you to get outside your comfort zone. Uh, 
and actively look for a way to begin to build relationships with other believers. By the same token, I encourage you, uh, those of you who have long-established friendships here at Summit, to be open to new friendships and opportunities to expand your community. So here's a passage that grabbed my attention this summer, and it's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38-42, where Mary had chosen to sit at Jesus' feet and learn, while Martha, her sister, was really fussed about getting the meal ready. And listen to what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. My prayer for and challenge to you in this season is to search your hearts and ask Jesus the same question. Help me to choose what is better, Lord, and to listen to what you are saying. Now, if that means investing yourself in a life group or even being willing to lead or host a group, please consider it prayerfully. For anything worth investing in, there is a cost involved. But I believe the benefits of being connected to a group of believers is well worth the time and energy involved. Two key words that characterize our life group landscape this year are going to have to be flexibility and creativity. Because of the current provincial health order and its restrictions on in-home gatherings, our groups, at least for the present, uh, will need to be small if you are going to be meeting in homes. The order states that home gatherings cannot be larger than five guests. So that combined with your own household, if you are a couple, would mean a maximum of seven people. Here are a few possibilities for what life groups could look like in this season. Could be larger groups split into smaller groups of a maximum of seven people with the idea that those smaller groups could later combine into the original larger group. Or it could mean small groups of no more than seven which, uh, meeting in homes, which might later join with another small group once restrictions are lifted. Uh, perhaps if there are couples in your group, the guys meet one week, the gals the next. Other options might be a large group which meets at the church where the five guest order does not apply. And I believe we already have some groups that are doing that and we have some available rooms for that during the week as well, or a larger group which meets, which meets online. So we want to help you find a way to connect and be connected with fellow believers, and that's where I come in. If you are already a group leader or host and are wanting to continue with your group, please let me know, and you can expect to hear from me probably in the next couple days if I don't connect with you this morning. Uh, if you're either new to the church or have been attending but not currently in a group, I will be stationed at one of our booths right outside after the service today so you can come and connect. And I would also challenge you to be open to God directing you into a group that is not only right for you, but where you may be just right for the group. Sometimes we want to script out everything in our lives and by doing so may miss out on opportunities that God is presenting you. So I'll leave you with this one final quote by author Rosaria Champagne Butterfield who writes, one of God's greatest gifts is the ability to see and appreciate the world from points of view 
foreign to your own, points of view that exceed your personal experience. That is what it means to me to grow in Christ, to exceed myself as I stretch to Him. So I look forward to being able to assist you in your journey, to be strengthened in your walk with Jesus by being involved in the community of Summit Drive Church through participation in a life group this year. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Welcome Anthony on to our staff as well. Just put our hands together. Thank you so much for that. Well, great to have you on the team, Anthony, as well. I've never been in one of those virtual reality rooms, machines, things. I don't even know how you'd put it on. But our son Connor has. He went to a birthday party a couple years ago, and uh, it was at this virtual reality place. And then he talked about his experience. He said he was working on this car, and you could drink the motor oil and then blow up the car. And we said, son, you need to leave that in virtual (laughs) reality. (laughs) No one would ever argue that virtual reality is reality, of course. You'll eventually get hungry and you'll have to take off the helmet and sit down to an actual reality meal. If you trip and fall down inside one of those virtual reality simulators, you can't go to the virtual reality hospital to fix your broken ankle. You'll need the real thing. And those images of meal and medical care, Jesus actually uses both of them to speak about the ministry and life of the church. We're to be a place of healing for those who are broken. We're to be agents of Jesus' life-giving word. In fact, we need that healing personally, and we need to be feasting on that word ourselves. We need each other, as Paul had said. God's dream is to bring together a people for himself who will be, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glory. We exist for love. We exist for worship. We exist for togetherness. We exist as God's dream from before the creation of the world. I want to live in sync with that. I want to live lined up with that dream. How about you? Let's pray. Father, it's almost too wonderful for me to think about how you dreamed this idea of a people who would be in you, who would be taken up in the life of God together. And yet that is what you planned and that is what you've done through Jesus, your son. And so God, we just give you glory today. We say praise be to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who who chose us in him before the creation of the world to make us holy and blameless. God, for those who are maybe um, rediscovering this, or maybe for the first time wrestling through, what is this idea of the church? God, I pray that, um, that you would be helping us, forming our vision, basing it on reality of what you've said. And we pray, Father, that we would experience the deep joy that you intend for us through this community called the church. Amen.